Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Historic Pinstripe Show, Episode 9. Again, my name is Brian and I have been a diehard Yankees fan since I was around 7 years old. Thanks for listening to last week's episode on the top 5 Yankees third baseman of all time and why. And again, feel free to go back and listen to any of the other previous episodes that I've put out. Um, but first, the goal of the Historic Pinstripe Show is, as always, to preserve the rich history and tradition of the New York Yankees by discussing the greatest Yankees players and greatest Yankees moments. Today's episode is on the top five Yankees shortstops of all time and why. And again, feel free to tweet your top five Yankee shortstops or top five Yankees at any position um, to at historicnyy on Twitter or Feel free to email us at historicpinstripes at gmail.com and feel free to comment on Facebook and on Instagram as well. And let's start off with the top five Yankee shortstops in Yankees history with the number one Yankee shortstop of all time, as I'm sure everyone most likely would agree. Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is the best Yankee shortstop the Yankees have ever had. I mean, they have had some guys, some other really good shortstops as well, but I don't think anybody would argue with Derek Jeter being the top shortstop in Yankees history. Derek Jeter, of course, played parts of 20 seasons with the New York Yankees. His first game, um, he had a home run. I think it was in his first at-bat in Cleveland at Progressive Field. Um, And actually that year, he actually didn't even play that well in spring training. And it actually was a surprise for him to be on the team because Tony Fernandez was hurt that year, or he had got hurt in spring training, and they were basically stuck with Jeter. So they ended up, of course, you know, they called Jeter up, and the rest was history. Uh, another thing about Jeter is obviously he was famous for the inside-out approach, one of the best at taking the inside pitch and going to right field. Um, his swing was just made for Yankee Stadium um, with the right field porch and everything, especially with the, that's you know, obviously he had that um, very well-known home run in 1996 uh, when Jeffrey Mayer reached over um, against the Baltimore Orioles, Tony Tarasco um, leaped, but he couldn't get it because, you know, the kid had reached over. And um, obviously, you know, they didn't have replay then, um, but that was a very famous home run of Jeter's. And, you know, a lot of Jeter's home runs went to right field because he used that part of the park so well. Um, another thing about Jeter is he was clutch. He was often known as Captain Clutch. Um, for a while, but usually it was just called the captain. Um, but he's one of the most clutch Yankee players of all time, right up there with Mantle and uh, Ruth and Thurman and Reggie Jackson and all those guys, and there's uh, a lot of other players too. And, of course, when you're playing as many games in the postseason as the Yankees have in their entire franchise history, then and the Yankees have, have been lucky enough to play in a bunch of playoff uh, playoff games and hopefully a lot more um, that they're that 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 you know they he had a lot of opportunities to come through and he really did. Jeter was probably one of the best in the in the biggest spots. Um, and some guys who were really really good players like even Alex Rodriguez, even though 2009, like I said um, in last week's episode on the top five Yankee third baseman, um, Alex Rodriguez was a great Yankee, one of the best offensive hitters of all time in Major League Baseball history. I mean, granted, he did, um, you know, get caught using PEDs, um, or I guess he didn't really get caught using them, but he, he um, you know, he, he got suspended for it, and he did get 
caught um, being having been taking them. Um, anyways, you know, even guys like Alex Rodriguez and Ted Williams weren't great postseason hitters. Um, at least didn't really perform as well in the postseason as they did in the regular season. And of course, maybe with Ted Williams back in the day, it was a little bit different because you know the Red Sox didn't have quite the teams. Although they did have some very good teams too. Too at times, maybe just not quite as good as the Yankees. You know, Ted Williams, of course, was the focal point of their lineup as well. But I'm just trying to show how sometimes it doesn't really matter how good you are. Like a guy like Scott Brosius, who I talked about last week on the Top 5 Yankee Third Baseman episode. Um, Scott Brosius was not known for being a great hitter, especially in the regular season. Of course, he did have his better years with the Yankees. But, you know, he still wasn't really known as a great hitter. He's more known of, as a great defender. But in the postseason, he kicked it up a notch. And even a guy like Cleet Boyer had some clutch moments and another guy who wasn't known for his bat. So there's a lot of guys like that. And Jeter was no different, even though Jeter was a very good player and a very good hitter. I mean, I, I wouldn't put him on the same category as Ted Williams, but I'm just trying to show how how hard it is to, be, um, to perform in the postseason. I mean... Just from an outsider perspective, seeing how how Jeter uh, just slowed the game down, and it was he was just so calm and cool and collected in the biggest moments, and that had to be extremely extremely difficult to do, especially against some of the best pitching ever. Um, another uh, one of his patented uh, maneuvers was the famous jump throw he made in the hole. Um, of course, uh, the ball that goes between the third baseman and the shortstop. Um, you know, Jeter would would grab the ball, uh, and then he, instead of, because obviously it would be a long throw, even for him, we, Jeter had, was known for having a strong arm, um, but the throw in the hole from th- that third base spot, um, it it's got, is a very, very long throw. Shortstop generally is a long throw, but from there it's even longer, so he had to get more uh, power and you know his momentum going that way to get the ball um, on his glove side, and then reach over, jump, and then throw the ball and get him out. And he did that a lot throughout his entire career. Um, so he was that basically became his move. Um, and a lot of other players patented uh, the famous jump throw after Jeter. And whenever people saw that later on in his career um, from another player, a younger player, they would say that's reminiscent of Derek Jeter. Kind of like uh, other guys I'm sure have... That's happened to too, like Ozzy Smith or guys like that. And Jeter was in no way like as good defensively as Ozzy Smith. Ozzy Smith was probably the best defensive shortstop of all time. But Derek Jeter was a very good shortstop in his own right. Um, uh, in his career, he had 3,465 hits. Of course, the only Yankee with 3,000 hits or more. And also, Jeter was sixth all time in Major League history um, with, of course, 3,465 hits. Um, he had a 310 batting average in his uh, in his Yankee career, in his entire career, of course. Only played one year. I mean, only played for one team um, in the major leagues. Uh, he he had a 377 on base percentage. Um, he had 260 home runs in his career, which actually is um, ninth on the Yankee all-time list um, in home runs, which is kind of surprising. Um, he had 368 stolen bases, uh, the most stolen bases in Yankees history, and. Another stat I wanted to mention too uh, with Derek Jeter is weighted on base average, also known as WOBA. Weighted on base average, if you go on f- fan graphs and you look up the definition, it's 
it's a uh, overall offensive contributions per plate appearance uh, for the hitter. Um, so G- Jeter's overall offensive contributions per plate appearance was 360, and 320 is um, I believe that's average. Um, but anything above that is well above average or is good. So Jeter had a good woba, a weighted on base average uh, for his career. Um, and, you know, he played 20 years, so that's that's a very, I would say that's a very good role. But, and Jeter was very consistent throughout his career. He, obviously, he wasn't the best, I wouldn't call him, like, he, he wasn't, like, the best hitter of all time or anything like that. But he was very, very consistent throughout the entire his entire career. And he didn't really get hurt all that much um, in his career. I mean, except for 2012, of course, and that one playoff game in the American League Championship Series in Game 1. Um, and then 2013, he ended up missing a lot of time. I think he ended up playing the last month and a half of the season, maybe two months. I can't remember in 2013, but he didn't play very much that year. Um, but there wasn't, I don't know if I can remember any other years that he really missed a lot of time like that. Um, you know, he was also a 14-time All-Star. He had won five gold gloves in his in his career. 1996, he was Rookie of the Year, of course. Um in 2000, he was the only player who to win an All-Star Game MVP and a World Series MVP, which I think he might be still the only guy to do that, but I'm not positive on that. Um, but anyways, you know, uh, he was the first one to do that. And, of course, in 2000, World Series against the Mets in Game 4, uh, he led off the game with a home run, and the Yankees ended up winning that game and then eventually going on to win the series the next game at Shea Stadium. And, uh, you know, Mike Piazza hits a fly ball to deep left center off a of Mo, and Bernie gets underneath it, and the Yankees win, and they three-peat. Uh, they get back-to-back-to-back world championships. Um, I'm also, Derek Jeter, you know, of course, he was very well-known, like I said, uh, for being a clutch hitter, was in, uh, in the middle of everything. Um, a lot of the Yankee rallies, uh, he, he started, he was involved in, seemingly every Yankee rally. I'm sure it wasn't every single one of them, but it was a lot of them. And, um, you know, Jeter was just, he was a mainstay in the Yankees lineup for so many years, and he was involved in lots of big moments, um, like the flip play. Um, Even in the regular season uh, with the play uh, in 2004, I believe it was around July, might have been July 4th or around that time anyway, uh, against the Red Sox, Trot Nixon hits a fall ball, uh, down the left field line, a uh, little, little bit past third base. Jeter hustles down third base, um, uh, th- down toward the third base line, and you know makes the catch. And of course, his momentum is he's running because he's running full steam ahead. Because it's probably a better a ball that A Rod would have been might have been able to get to more so than him, but it still would have been a tough play for A Rod. However, Jeter had a better angle on it, I guess. He's, and, um, you know, he just ran full steam ahead. His momentum pretty much took him over the railing, and he kind of had to jump to to just basically not... Because I guess, I guess he's talked about it before, I and he's done this actually before, not quite to that extent, but I guess he's done it where he's caught a fall ball on the third base line at the, where the tarp is, because it was right over where the tarp was. The tarp was near the, the, the fall line there. Um... And he just kind of flipped over, and I guess it. He thought it might have been better to jump over it because I guess there's concrete in that first part, 
So we figured if he could get over it and go where the fans were, it might be better. Obviously, he ended up uh, still scratched up and bloodied a little bit. But just that play, I think, kind of defines Jeter's career. Just him showing the heart, the determination um, to get the ball and without regard for his himself or anything, he did what he could to help the team. And he showed what being a leader really was. Um, you know, he was the captain, and uh, he was actually officially named the captain in, I think it was July of 2003 by George Steinbrenner. But of course, before then, he was already well known for being the leader of the Yankees by many, um, if not all. Um, and of course, 2006, uh, he was second in the MVP race to Justin Morneau that year of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, also, uh, third that year, if you don't remember, um, or if you're not, weren't didn't know uh david ortiz uh was third that year i think that was the same year that david ortiz hit 54 home runs which set the red sox single season home run record he also had a very very good year too um so so so, but just being second and third in the mvp race um you know that's just that's big too i think um uh just for one season anyways their cheater that year hit 343 he um he had an OPS plus of 132. He had 214 hits that year. And again, on base plus slugging is OPS plus or uh, OPS adjusted OPS, which is basically the league average of on base plus slugging and just overall offensive. Um, um, this how how good you are offensively um, in 100. So basically, he was well above average. Or um, and he had 214 hits that year, which is one of the most, one of the highest amount of home run, uh, one of the highest amount of hits he had in his in one season. Um, he had 14 home runs and 34 stolen bases that year as well. So Jeter was very uh, balanced overall. Usually, a lot of his seasons, Jeter, I mean, he was a table setter in the lineup. He wasn't known for a guy with a lot of power. Except for 1999, of course. But, of course, that year is well known for being a year that the balls were juiced. And, you know, of course, he had 24 home runs that year. Uh, that was probably his best um, offensive year. I would say it was his best offensive year, which is kind of telling because he's not a power – he was not a power hitter or a guy that was going to drive in runs. And it actually wasn't even his job to do that because the Yankees had a lot of guys behind them that could do that, like Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill, Bernie Williams, um, guys like that. And, but he did hit 349 that year, 24 home runs and 102 RBIs. And I think in 99, I'm pretty sure he was still the number two hitter behind Chuck Knobloch. Um, although I think at times, every once in a while, he uh, if they gave Knobloch a day off, they would put Jeter in the leadoff spot, but usually not as much. Um, at least not until around Soriano, when Soriano came up and then when Soriano left. Uh, that's when Jeter really took over as the, the main leadoff man. Um, if I remember correctly. And also, uh, when Johnny Damon came in, then Damon kind of became the leadoff man too. But sometimes they would even put Jeter, the leadoff man against lefties, and Damon against righties. So they would mix it up a little bit. Um, he was also fourth in Yankees history in OPS plus or on-base plus slugging adjusted. And in uh, 1999, it's the fourth highest um, adjusted OPS of, of any Yankee in Yankees history in a single season. Um, so that's kind of a cool stat. 
2012, he led the league in hits in two, with 216. And I believe in 2012, he was, uh, he was like 38 years old, too. So that's kind of kind of shows the consistency that he had throughout his entire 20-year career. Um, in that same year, in 2012, he had hit 316 that year with an OPS plus of 114. He led uh, in run scores in 1998 with 127 runs scored. 100, uh, so basically, 127 runs scored. It's a lot of times that he was getting on base and... Uh, batters behind him were had to knock him in, um, and he was, you know, he was doing his job to get on base, and so that way the big guys could, in the lineup, the Paul O'Neill's, Tino Martinez, and whoever was batting behind him would be able to, to get him in, and uh, and he, and Jeter was known as a very 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 good, uh, base runner, um, and uh, you know, doing things like hit hit and run and all that and stealing bases and. And he just he had very good instincts on the bases and in the field too, of course. Um, so he was definitely doing his job as a table setter in the lineup, um, and that definitely shows, especially that year, 1998. Of course, was a big year for the Yankees, probably one of their best years in franchise history, which is saying a lot. Um, and uh, he also had 14 seasons, were um, in a row actually, uh, that he had at least a batting average of 291 or better. Um, he had 16 seasons with a 291 batting average in his in his entire career. So of course the consistency with Jeter was always there. Um, I mean I mean except I mean he did have a few years I believe like 2010 was kind of an off year for him. Uh, 2013 and 14, but of course 2013 like I mentioned, uh, he was hurt for the majority of the year. And 2014 he was already older, um, but he still he still played a lot. I mean. He throughout his entire career, he really didn't get hurt very much. I think the most time he missed, which I said before, I believe, was 2013 because of the injury in 2012 in the in the playoffs. I think he was diving after a ball, if I believe. I, I believe. Um, anyways, he was also eighth in career batting average, and I believe that's uh, that that's eighth in the entire major leagues. Um, he was second in runs scored in Yankees history. Uh, so I mean. He's really racked up a lot of. Uh, he's he's in a lot of the top tens, top fives, and a lot of the Yankee lists. Um, you know, he's third in total bases, which actually is kind of interesting because I didn't I wouldn't really think that he was third, but he did play a long time, and he was very consistent. And total bases is a stat. It's just basically um, totals up all the bases that like if he gets a single, a double, it's two. So triple three, so it just kind of adds up all the, the uh, how many, um, how many bases he's accumulated. Um, anyways, back to weighted on base average. Uh, a stat about this is actually Derek Jeter um, was above average every year in weighted on base average, um, except for four years, 1995, 2010, 2013, and 2014. And of course, 95, he was only there for like a week or so. And of course, you know he was just 21 years old. 2010 was just a down year for him. Um, I mean, it wasn't really like a horrible year, but he wasn't one of his best. And 2013, he was he missed a lot of time. 2014, of course, he was 40 years old. But and again, weighted on base average um, is just you know your overall offensive contributions per plate appearance. Um, so it's it just basically measures 
how good he was of a hitter, um, compa- especially compared to like other hitters in the league. And um, so, of course, in the postseason, helped the Yankees to five World Series titles. Was known as the captain. I think he's been called Captain Clutch before. Of course, Mister November in two thousand one, um, in Game Four of the World Series. And actually, um, another play I I did kind of mention before, but another play that might have been even more important in two thousand one was the flip play. Because if the Yankees, if Jeter doesn't make that play, and then Shane Spencer um, just throws overthrows the cutoff man and the A's score, um, you know the A's might go on to win that series. The Yankees might never get to the World Series in two thousand one, and of course that was a, ended up being big for the Yankees. Um, of course the the flip play, and um, and also ended up being big for really the city of New York because that was a big, um, you know, with nine eleven, it was really good for them to. They really wanted to get there, um, especially that year, even though they had already won back-to-back-to-back titles. And it was almost like, it seemed like at that time, which was kind of different for any other year, at that time, it was kind of like the country was kind of pulling for the Yankees, which is typically not always the case, especially, but it generally is for for teams that win a lot. But it was just kind of cool uh, to see the, uh, fans even around the country were kind of pulling for New Yorkers as, um, and even the Yankees too um, at that time in 2001. So Derek Jeter, of course, is number the number one Yankee shortstop in Yankees history. So I figured I'd get that right out of the way. And of course, number two in Yankees history is Phil Rizzuto, who I don't think anybody is surprised with either because Phil Rizzuto was the best Yankee shortstop in Yankees history before Derek Jeter. Obviously, he was known as the Scooter. And uh, Phil Rizzuto, obviously, he played a long time ago. He played back in the 50s. He's more well-known uh, to people nowadays as the broadcaster who went, holy cow, or something like that. Um, and and he also used to be known for uh, getting cannolis sent up to the booth. And he, he was just a very uh, colorful personality, very funny. And, um, uh, of course... Uh, actually, Phil Rizzuto was listed at only five foot six. He was 150 pounds. I believe he actually had a hard time making the Yankees. I don't think Casey Stengel wanted him on the team. I think he actually tried out, but Stengel didn't uh, didn't take him on the team. Um, but he ended up. There was somebody else that ended up giving him a shot. Um, he was born in Brooklyn, New York. Of course, he was Italian. Lived in Queens. Uh, he was. He played 13 seasons with the Yankees. Of course, he missed three seasons. Um, to the war, World War II, um, he was in the Navy. Uh, he was a, a five-time All-Star, so won seven World Series championships in his time with the New York Yankees. And, of course, in 1950, which is kind of surprising, he won the MVP that year. And I'm, I only said it was kind of surprising because Phil Rizzuto was a very small guy, and of course, kind of like Altuve. But Altuve now, like, he has some power. Rizzuto didn't have a lot of power at all. And actually, back then... This kind of shows how the game was different because back then uh, the offensive shortstops typically they didn't really want you they didn't really care if you hit a lot of home runs um, it was more of a they they expected you just to basically get on base and do your job uh, play really well in the field and Rizzuto was one of the best defensive shortstops of all time um, actually that year he hit three twenty four in nineteen fifty when he won the MVP. He had a 418 on base percentage, which is very, very good. And this was well before, you know, they they even used on base percentage, I believe. 
Um, his OPS plus um, was 120, 122, well above average. 12 steals that year, played 155 games, um, 735 plate appearances. I believe that was the most in his career. 195 or 193 hits, 39 strikeouts in 735 plate appearances, which is incredible. And he actually walked more than he struck out, a lot more. He walked 92 times that year, had 200 hits. And, of course, his WOBA, or weighted on-base average, of course, the offensive overall contributions per plate appearances for Rizzuto that year in 1950 was 399, which is very, very good for a single season. Also, Rizzuto led the league four times in sacrifice hits, and Rizzuto won his career, had 1,533 hits, 1,661 games played, 149 stolen bases, just struck out 398 times, had a 273 average, weighted on base average was 335, so it was about, about uh, yeah, a good weighted on base average. Very, I would say probably very good, um, 93 OPS plus. And of course, back in those days, you know, they like I mentioned, you know, they weren't shortstops weren't known for for being able to hit, and they didn't really care about that. Um, in fact, actually, Ted Williams, who was um, he played against Phil Rizzuto a lot with the Red Sox. They played around the same time. And Phil Rizzuto, uh, Ted Williams even said of Phil Rizzuto, if they had Phil, they would have won all the pennants. So that says it all right there, basically. Um, you know, a competitor like Ted Williams, that's high praise for Phil Rizzuto. Um, and it says that this says a lot about Rizzuto right there. Two seasons with above average, weighted on base average, 1953 and, of course, 1950. 1953, his weighted on-base average was 348. Um, so he had he didn't just have that one year. Um, uh, his, he had the his most strikeouts in one season was 42 strikeouts in 152 games, 71 walks that same year. So that's incredible. Uh, another year, he only played 128 games in 1948. Um, he walked 60 times that year, but he only struck out 24 times. In another year, in 1947, he he walked 57 times, but he only struck out 31 times. So Phil Rizzuto um, definitely did his job. I'm not talking about another guy just doing his job trying to get on base and not trying to strike out, basically, and just getting on base basically via hit or in any way he could, walk, whatever. I mean, he obviously walked a lot, too. He walked more than he struck out a lot of times. Um, his defensive war for his career was 22.9, which is 30th all-time among shortstops in, in the majors. And actually, it's second among Yankee shortstops, too, um, in, in, the, in, in the careers of all the Yankee shortstops. Also, he was first in defensive war in 1941, 1942, and 1952 at shortstop, of course. Um, and in the postseason, Phil Rizzuto helped the Yankees win seven World Series titles, but uh, they, he played 52 games, um, 185 at-bats, two home runs, eight RBIs, 30 walks, 11 strikeouts in 52 games, um, and had a 246 average, 355 on-base percentage. So, I mean, just looking at the numbers, I mean, obviously you could tell he wasn't he wasn't uh, like as clutch as Derek Jeter anyway. Of course, Jeter did play a lot more games, but, I mean, it's probably a lot harder. When the more games you're playing, it's going to be a lot harder to keep your average higher, which is kind of a feather in Jeter's cap. At the same time, though, um, Rizzuto just wanted to get on base. 
and obviously 355 on base percentage is very very good um that and uh, uh some of his uh, what he did in some of the games 1942 in the world series game five versus the st louis browns um the browns won the game but phil rizzuto played a big part in helping the yankees anyway he was two for four leadoff home run in the first inning um so at least he got the yankees off to a to a good start even though it didn't really help as much but it was still a, um, a good moment for phil 1951 game five versus the giants uh this was when the yankees three-peated um they went back to back to back. They ended up going to win five championships in a row. Uh, but in 1951, Game Five against the New York Giants, um, uh, he was two for four with two RBIs or two walks, and he had a two-run home run to right field with one out. So I mean, he he had a big moment there, um, and obviously they went on to three feet that year. Um, he actually had three RBIs in that game. 1947 in the World Series, Game 7 versus the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the eighth, and he was hitting eighth, eighth in the lineup at that time. Um, he was 3 for 4, had a stolen base and an RBI single in the second inning as well. And, um, and of course, you know, he went on to have a, a great broadcasting career. As I said before, he was a very funny uh, broadcaster. I remember seeing him on WPIX, even, uh, even out here in the New England area. They used to air it. The, on WPIX every once in a while, um, and uh, you know I think they stopped after a while, like in the early '90s, around '92, '93 or so. Um, but anyways, you know he had a lot of catchphrases like "Holy cow!" and you know came up with Louisiana Lightning, which was a little bit before my time anyway. But he was also again another thing he was well known for is getting cannolis sent to the booth and a lot of his antics and and just he was just an overall very funny broadcaster but he also you could also tell because there were times where he he was he could also be the color guy and he was a good play-by-play guy as well he had actually called a lot of big moments you know like um ron gidry uh the 18 strikeout game like i said the louisiana lightning game um when he, when he coined uh gidry louisiana lightning um and of course in 1961 roger maris uh 61 home his 61st home run he called that um, he worked with a lot of really good broadcasters. I think he worked with Mel Allen. Um, uh, he worked with uh, Tom Seaver, Frank White for a long time. I guess Frank White, him and Frank White were really close. So, I mean, Phil Rizzuto had a great career. He's a baseball lifer, and he he was he's definitely right up there with Derek Jeter as uh, two of the, the top guys in the top five Yankees shortstops of all time. The, the rest of the top five is after Derek Jeter and Phil Rizzuto. It's not quite as certain because um, the main two are Derek and Phil. But uh, the first guy I'm going to mention is Tony Kubek. Tony Kubek actually played shortstop, outfield, and third base. But he was primarily a shortstop. And he was uh, he was a left-handed hitter. He threw right, four-time All-Star. Um, he helped the Yankees win three World Series titles. They went to six World Series he was actually born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They went. The, uh, he played nine seasons with the Yankees. Uh, retired at 29 years old, so he was he was a relatively young young man when he retired. Um, in his career, he played uh, 1,092 games, had 1,109 hits, 57 home runs, 373 RBIs, hit 266 in his career, an 86 OPS plus, and 297 weighted on base average, and um, 
So again, that's overall offensive um, contributions per plate appearance, weighted on base average. His debut came when he was 21 years old versus Boston in 1957. And actually his last game came against that same Boston Red Sox team. He was 3 for 4 that game with the home run off of Dick Raddix in the ninth inning with one out. In 1957, he was the Rookie of the Year. Um, uh, he played 127 games that year, 431 at-bats, 128 hits, 297 average, and a 97 OPS+. plus. Um, so, I mean, he that was probably one of his best seasons for sure. His best power season was 1960. He had 14 home runs that year, 62 RBIs, had a 316 weighted on base average. His best seasons, uh, 59, 1960, 1962, and 1957. Um, uh, another thing about him, well, statistically, anyways, in 1962, he had hit 314, 357, 114 OPS plus, and weighted above average was 353, four home runs, but he only played 169, um, he only had 169 at-bats that season, um, because a lot of times, he played around the same time as Casey Stengel. However, then, Ralph Hook was the manager, too. And I think sometimes Ralph Hook used to platoon some players, or he would kind of mix and match some guys in the lineup. He probably was hurt, too. Um, he might have been hurt um, that year as well. But that's probably his best year statistically. Um, and actually, I th- kind of thought, I was kind of expecting Tony Kubek to have better numbers because I had heard a lot of good things about Tony Kubek. Um, I thought he was, I mean, he, he obviously was a very good player just looking at his numbers and and um, obviously just being in the big leagues too, of course. But, you know, uh, don't, uh, but I, I kind of expected him to, to be, to have even better numbers than he did. However, he did have some very good uh, years. 1961, he actually played his, the most amount of games, 153. That year, he also had a very good year. He had 296, eight home runs, 46 RBIs, had a 90 OPS plus, um, which isn't average, but a, um, a little bit below average. However, they really didn't look at on base percentage and stuff like that as much. However, that's just part of OPS plus as well, you know, because it's also on, on base plus slugging adjusted. So. His weighted on base average was 310 that year as well, uh, in 1961. So, um, Tony Kubek, I mean, he, I don't think he played as much either, too, I think, because I think he was a lefty. So, I figured they must have had, I believe, around the same time they had uh, Phil Linz, who also was kind of, he was kind of a role player. Um, he didn't play as much as Tony Kubek. Tony Kubek played a little more than him. And uh, they also had Bobby Richardson. And I think they might have had somebody else, too. Also, in the postseason, of course, he helped them to three World Series titles. He played 37 games um, in the postseason for the Yankees. Had a 240 batting average, two home runs, and 10 RBIs. Um, What he did in the postseason, he 1957 World Series, Game 3 versus the Milwaukee Braves. He was 3 for 5 with four RBIs. He hit his two postseason home runs in one single game. And... um, he helped the Yankees to a 12-3 win. Uh, and uh, the home run, or his first home run came as a, it was a solo shot in the first inning to left field. And um, it put the Yankees on top, one to nothing. Uh, and of course, in 1958, Game 7 versus the Braves, he had a go-ahead sack fly in the sixth inning, and the Yankees ended up winning 6-2. to two. Uh, His best series was probably 1957, 1960, 1962. Uh, probably 1960, I would say. 
um, that year. Uh, he actually played in all seven games in all three of those years, 57, 60, and 62. Uh, and 1963 RBIs, batted 333 for a batting average, um, had a 344 or 394 on base percentage, and it only struck out twice. So he had some very, very good years. And Tony Kubek was also a broadcaster. He broadcasted 12 World Series games between 1968 and 1982. And also he did broadcast some big championship series games as well between 1964 and 1989. Um, I don't believe he broadcasted with Phil Rizzuto, but he might have. I'm not positive on that. He also won the 2009 Ford C. Frick Award. Anyone who gets the 4C Frick Award usually goes into the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. But um, I, from what I, hear, what I heard and what I remember, Tony Kubek was a pretty good broadcaster. I mean, obviously he knew the game really well because, you know, he was a major league player. And he should know the game really well. Um, but I think he was mostly a color analyst, I believe. I'm not sure if he did play-by-play or not. Um, anyways, let's move on to Gil McDougald. Um, now, Gil McDougald was a guy who played a lot of third base, a lot of shortstop, and a lot of second base, mostly third base throughout his career. However, he did have two full seasons um, of playing shortstop, actually three full seasons. Um, there was one season where he was kind of was kind of split between second and short. So I decided to count him as a shortstop because I actually forgot about Gil McDougald uh, putting him in a top five category uh, for third baseman. However, he did play a lot at shortstop too. And I think part of the reason, because I think he was a shortstop, but I think probably part of it was because he, he came up around the time when they had Rizzuto and I believe um, obviously Tony Kubek as well. But I think he started before that. He started when they did have Rizzuto. And Rizzuto was kind of in the prime of his career. So that's probably why they put him more at third base, second base, shortstop. And of course, it's nice to have a guy, especially Casey Stengel, was a guy known for platooning, and it must have been nice for him to have a guy who could just move around like that. Anyways, uh, played full seasons, at, like I said, at all three of those positions. He was a right-handed hitter, five-time All-Star, 10 seasons with the New York Yankees. Gil McDougald actually won the Rookie of the Year in 1951. He hit 306, had a .396 on-base percentage, 142 OPS+, plus, 14 home runs, and 63 RBIs. Um, he actually played in 131 games that year. His weighted on-base average, again, uh, that's offensive overall offensive contributions per plate appearances. He had a 405 Woba that year. Um, and so, I mean, looking at Gil McDougald's numbers, I, I, I didn't realize how good he was offensively. Uh, he was extremely good. He was a much better hitter than I really thought he was. I mean, I, I knew he must have been a pretty good player, but I didn't realize how good he was offensively. Um, eight seasons. He had 10 or more home runs in his career. He actually hit four home run, 14 home runs twice in his career, uh, 1958 and also 1951 as well. Uh, his best seasons besides 1951 was 1956 and 1957. 56, he played 120 games, um, and he had 13 home runs that year, 56 RBIs. It had a 311 batting average, 405 on base percentage. His Woba weighted on base average was 384, an OPS plus, um, uh, basically league-adjusted number um, showing how he was compared to other players, um, was 127, well above average. So in 1957 that year, Gil McDougal played 141 games. Um, he had a 539 at-bats, 13 home runs, 62 RBIs. He had a 289 batting average, 362 on-base percentage, a 358 uh, weighted on-base average. 
and a 128 OPS plus. He led the league in 57 with 19 sacrifice hits, and he was fifth and most valuable player that year as well, um, which really surprised me because I didn't realize how good he was, especially offensively. In the postseason, Gil McDougald, he had played in 53 games, 192 at-bats, 237 batting average, 7 home runs, 24 RBIs, and had a 310 on on-base percentage. So not bad overall. Um, helped them win five World Series titles, and went, they went to eight series during his tenure with the Yanks in 10 years. In Game 5 of the 1951 World Series, Gil McDougald hit a grand slam in the third inning. They won the game 13-1. to um, 1952 World Series versus the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, he tied the game with a home run in the third inning. So he had a couple big moments right there. In 1957, World Series, Game 4 against the Milwaukee Braves. Hit an RBI single off of Warren Spahn in the first inning. And they took a 1-0 lead. In 1958, World Series Game 5. Started it off with the third inning home run. And the Yankees took a 1-0 lead. And then in the sixth inning, he had a two-run double. And they ended up winning 7-0. And Game 6 of the 1955 World Series... He had a go-ahead home run in the 10th inning off of Warren Spahn. Or 1958 World Series, rather. He had a go-ahead home run in the 10th inning off of Warren Spahn, and the Yankees won the World Series. Um, and that, Well, they won that game, but they later won the World Series as well against the Milwaukee Braves. And, you know, of course, anytime you hit a home run in a big spot like that against a guy like Warren Spahn, that says a lot right there because back in those days, Spahn, well, Spahn was a Hall of Famer. So, I mean... You know, they, they had the catchphrase, like I said before, spawn insane, pray for rain. So Gil McDougald really, really had a lot of clutch moments in his Yankees tenure. Moving on, we're going to go move on to Bucky Dent. Bucky Dent helped the Yankees win two World Series titles. He only played six seasons with the Yankees. Um, he made his major league debut with the Chicago White Sox in 1973. Um, he was actually uh, second in the Rookie of the Year voting to Mike Cargrove, who you might remember as the Cleveland Indians manager in the 90s, late 90s or so. But Mike Cargrove won the Rookie of the Year that year in 1974. Um, I believe he was a first baseman, left fielder at that time. In 1974, I think it was around April 1974, Bucky Dent was traded to the New York Yankees for Oscar Gamble. And a, I, yeah, for Oscar Gamble. Uh, to the White Sox and two other players um, were also involved in the deal with Oscar Gamble um, going to the White Sox. In, in Bucky Dent's career with the New York Yankees, he had 234, had a 295 on base percentage, 72 OPS plus, 284 weighted on base percentage, which is his entire career, but it didn't have it. His weighted on base for just his Yankees career. However, you kind of get the picture. You know, Bucky wasn't wasn't known for his bat. Um, however, he probably you would definitely be surprised. I was very surprised anyway um, how clutch Bucky was in the postseason. I didn't really he had, he had some big postseason moments. Obviously, he had that one game, 1978. The everyone knows the playing game with the Red Sox and the three-run home run against Mike Torres. But he also had some other big moments that I did not know about. Um, his best season with the Yankees, I would say, probably came in 1980. He had 262 that year, had a 327 on-base percentage, on-base plus slugging adjusted was 89 so below average uh 311 woba weighted on base average he had five home runs that year and he only struck out 37 times though in 141 games and he had 48 walks that year as well um so i mean that kind of says a lot about that that was his best year offensively he was known for having a good glove though 
defensively. He was a three-time All-Star. Um, again, being him being a three-time All-Star, you wouldn't think someone with a lot of the numbers that I mentioned before would, would have been a three-time All-Star, but shortstops in those days weren't necessarily guys who could hit unless you were like a star like Ernie Banks or somebody like that. Bucky Dent also played at least 154 games from 1974 to 1977. He struck out less than he walked four times in his career. Led the league in defensive war in 1980, 3.1. He was second in 1974 with a defensive war in that season of 3.2. Of course, that was a shortstop. Uh, I believe he was a shortstop his entire career as well. Um, and again, uh, Going into the postseason, he helped the Yankees win two World Series titles. I believe they went to three World Series in his tenure with the Yankees. He wasn't there in 1976. Um, he came in 1977. His career, he had played 24 games in the postseason, 83 at-bats, 23 hits, 277 batting average, 310 on-base percentage. So right there, I mean, he had already had a higher batting average in the postseason than his career average uh, for the Yankees anyways. And... Uh, um, in, in, uh, the regular season so that kind of shows you right there how some players just play better than they really were in the regular season they just step up and for whatever reason they can just uh slow the game down even more so in in the biggest moments and it's not an easy thing to do even for some of the best players in the game uh, 1978 actually he had a home run of course, in the third inning, off of Mike Torres in the play-on game against the Red Sox, his best came in the World Series. He had 3.49 as a as a whole in the World Series. Um, he had 3.91 on base percentage in the in the 1970 and um, in all his World Series games that he played, 15 hits, 12 games, 43 at bats. He was the World Series MVP in 1978. He hit in every single game that year in the World Series. Um, played all six games, 24 at bats, 10 hits, seven RBIs. Just struck out two times in 24 at-bats. Hit 417. Had a 440 on base percentage and 11 total bases. And um, that really surprised me because I didn't realize how clutch he was, especially in that year anyway. Game 6 of the 1978 World Series. Top of the second. The game was tied at 1. Uh, Bucky Dent hit an RBI single off of Don Sutton for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Yankees won the game 2-1. to one. 1978 American League Championship Series. Game one against the Kansas City Royals, um, top of the second, Bucky Dent hit an RBI single, and uh, and the Yankees took a one nothing lead and ended up winning the game seven to nothing. Of course, they won the series. Uh, also, another thing about Bucky Dent, um, he ended up becoming the Yankees manager twice, 1989 and 1990, uh, partial seasons, um, and he was the bench coach for the Reds and Rangers, which I didn't realize. I think I did know that he was a bench coach for the Reds at one time, but I didn't realize he was with the Rangers. I think it was like from 1995 to 2001. And before his uh, time with the Rangers, he was a third base coach with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals as well. And I think he ended up becoming uh, the AAA manager for the Yankees for quite a while anyway, until I think until they moved to Scranton. And that's around the time when Dave Miley, I think, took over. Anyways, another segment is called Trivia Time uh, on the Historic Pinstripe Show. And again, you can feel free to tweet us the answer at HistoricNYY on Twitter or comment on Facebook or wherever you see um, this podcast. Um, the trivia question is, who was Bucky Dent traded for in 1982 and where did he get traded to? So the trivia question, who was Bucky Dent traded for? 
1982 and where did he get traded to so feel free to tweet us at historicnyy or email historicpinstripes at gmail.com the next guy we're going to mention is frank crosetti um, also known as the crow um, frank crosetti played from 1932 to 1948 he was actually first in defensive war in 1938 and 1939 so he was known as a uh, guy with a good glove and he was actually a leadoff hitter as well um he was a two-time all-star right-handed hitter leadoff hitter like i like i mentioned um he was a five he was five foot ten 165 pounds from california so he was another guy that was generally small and i think shortstops around that time you know around the uh him phil rizzuto and some of the other guys that i'm going to mention later are generally a little shorter um obviously Derek Jeter by the time he came players started becoming bigger and stronger and stuff um but he was only five foot ten 165 pounds uh so he was a little bit bigger than uh Phil Rizzuto anyway uh Rizzuto was only five six he played uh Crosetti played 17 seasons with the Yankees 6,277 at bats 98 home runs had a batting average of 245 he had an 88 OPS plus and his Woba weighted on base average for his career was 330, which really is not bad. Uh, he had 1,541 hits in his, in his entire career as well. He led the league and hit by pitches seven times and five years in a row, which I kind of found interesting. Um, actually, he had, in, in a lot of those years, he had 10 or more hit by pitches. which uh, But I kind of found it interesting because back in the, the those days especially, being a leadoff guy, you got on base any way you could, whether it was getting hit. Even now you do too, but I think then I there was one guy with the Yankees. Um, I think he was one of them. Uh, they, back in those days, players would actually position themselves to try to get hit, you know, so, so, or, and kind of like sell it to the umpire if they didn't really get hit and it was just really close. So, and, they, and players generally do that still today, but it was more prevalent back in those days. Um, Anyways, he was obviously very good at that. Um, and he led the league in stolen bases in 1938 with 27 stolen bases. And he led the league in games played with 157. And uh, he also led the league in strikeouts in 1938 as well with 97. So, I mean, as a leadoff guy, typically, it's usually you want to get on base. If you strike out, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Corsetti, uh, his best seasons came in 1936 to 1938. 1936, he had a batting average of 288, 387 on base percentage, a 105 OPS plus. His weighted on base average was 383. He had 18 stolen bases in his career, 83 strikeouts, and 151 games. In the postseason, Corsetti played 29 games, had 115 at-bats, um, he had one home run in his career in the postseason and 11 RBIs. His best series came in 1936, 1938, and 1943. 1936 World Series Game 6 versus the New York Giants. He hit a go-ahead RBI single, and the Yankees ended up winning the game. Uh, the RBI single came in the eighth inning, and they won the game 2-1. to one. Uh, 1938 World Series Game 2 versus the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Corsetti hit a go-ahead two-run home run in the eighth inning. Of course, he was not known as a home run hitter. It was the only home run he actually hit in his postseason career. Um, the Yankees were down uh, three to two in the eighth inning with two outs, and when he hit the two-run home run, and they won, they won the game. And also, Rigetti ended up becoming a very talented coach. Um, 
He actually went on to win nine more World Series titles in addition to the 61 as a player. And actually, that's the he he has the most World Series uh, championships of any uh, of any person, player, coach, whatever, who's ever lived. Um, even more than Yogi, I think he might have one one more than Yogi or so. Um, he's got 15 of them. So many, so in fact that I believe the last few of them, uh, they did something different. Um, they didn't rather than rings, he asked them to engrave something or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but um. He also coached for a couple other teams. I believe toward the end of his coaching tenure, he ended up coaching for the Seattle Pilots in 1969. Who they, they were an expansion team, um, and I guess he was, you know, he lived in California, so he w- wanted to be closer to home. And his last team that he coached for was the Minnesota Twins. And also, he was a third base coach his entire coaching career, and I guess he never had any ambition to manage. Anyways, moving on to Roger Peckinpah. Roger Peckinpah was the shortstop before Corsetti, or one of them before Corsetti. Um, he helped the. He actually did not win a World Series title with the Yankees. Um, he did end up winning one later on with the Washington Centers. However, Peckinpah was a right-handed hitter, uh, won a 1925 MVP. Uh, actually, that was also with the Washington Senators. Uh, Peckinpah was five foot ten, just like Corsetti, 165 pounds. He was from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Played nine seasons with the New York Yankees from 1913 to 1921. In his career, he pl- he played 1,219 games, 4,550 at bats, 1,170 hits, 36 home runs, 174 doubles, 143 stolen bases in his career, 257 batting average, weighted on base average was 325. You know, in 1913, 1919, 1920, this was around the time when baseball was a it was a lot different um you know players didn't hit it that many home runs i mean until really until ruth came in um and his numbers kind of reflect that um it seemed like he was kind of more of a contact type of hitter um even then uh, he didn't hit like you know like jeter or a lot or Rizzuto even but he, he was still a pretty darn good baseball player um Peckinpah had 12 seasons of 10 or more stolen bases throughout his career, and he had 7 of 10 or more stolen bases throughout his Yankees career. He played 122 or more games a year from 1914 to 1925. Peckinpah's best offensive year with the Yankees was 1919, 122 games. Uh, he he uh, had 453 at-bats that year, 7 home runs, uh, 33 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, he hit 305, which was a career high for him. Uh, he had a 390 on base percentage, uh, 123 OPS plus. His weighted on base average was 382. Um, he had 38 stolen bases in 19, 1914 as well, which I think was his first or no, his second year with the Yankees. Uh, he had 13 straight seasons of 99 sacri- sacrifice hits or more in a season, and you know back then sacrifice hits was something that. Players were more you're, you're more after seeing more sacrifice hits and bunting and moving runners over like that. He actually had 40 sacrifice hits in a season in 1923 when he was already with the Washington Senators, and that led the league, of course. Um, in the postseason, you know, he went to one World Series with the Yankees, 1921, against the New York Giants. Obviously, they ended up losing that World Series. Um, uh, he played in eight games in the 1921 World Series. You know, the the World Series back then was even a little bit different. I think they Sometimes would play more games, um, 
Anyways, he had 23 at-bats. He only hit 179 in that World Series, struck out three times. One sacrifice hit, four walks, and six total bases. So, I mean, just going by the numbers, because that's kind of what you have to do with him. He wasn't uh, one of the most clutch uh, players um, you'd see. His World Series title that he won with the Senators in 1924, that was the best series he ever played in the playoffs. He had 417 that year in the in that series. Uh Two RBIs, stolen base, and he had 10 total bases and even had a home run. So, I mean, that that was his best postseason. And, of course, you know, he played before the Yankees really got really good. And I think he might have played maybe one or two, I think it was two seasons with Babe Ruth. Moving on, we're going to talk about another guy who's more modern is Didi Gregorius. I thought I'd throw Didi into this mix because, you know, Didi, even though he's he's still playing and, you know, he could still end up back with the Yankees, which I would lo- love to see. I mean, I, th- I, th- I would have liked to have seen the Yankees re-sign him. But at the same time, you know, Gleyber Torres it's only, what, 23 years old or so. So they kind of have to see what, what they have in Glaber. I, I mean, I guess they didn't have to, but, I mean, just kind of like that next step for Glaber Torres. Um, so I think it's more of more for Glaber that they didn't re-sign Didi. Anyways, Didi in his career, he had at least nine home runs per season in all five seasons of his career with the Yankees. Obviously, he filled Derek Jeter's shoes very admirably that uh, which obviously was going to be difficult for anybody to fill, and um, and Didi Gregorius really filled it in, filled in his, uh, sh- his shoes at shortstop, um, you know, and and uh, of course he did struggle for like the first month or so, maybe even the first half of uh, 2015, but once he got it together, um, he really he, he he really had a very good career in New York. Um, his actually that leads us to his career in New York. He had. Hit 269, 313 on base percentage. Um, uh, he had a 101 on base plus slugging adjusted throughout his Yankees career. Um, so it's uh, average. Um, he had 160, or he had, 60, he had played 660 games in his career, 659 hits. Um, he had 27 stolen bases, 97 home runs, and had a 360 RBIs in his career. Um, 2018 was probably his best year with the Yankees. Played 134 games, had a weighted on-base average of 350, um, which is very good. Uh, 27 home runs led the uh, well. That was his most uh, most amount of home runs in his career. Uh, 86 RBIs in 2018, 268 batting average, 335 on-base percentage, and a 124 on-base plus slugging adjusted. He had 20 home runs or more from 2016 to 2018. Which him being a left-handed hitter um, in Yankee Stadium really helped, um, especially the new Yankee Stadium with the jet stream, the right field, right center, and um, he uh, he really he really developed the niche for that uh, right field fence. Uh, he had 25 home runs in 2017, 16 home runs last year. Of course, last year he probably could have had an even better year, maybe if he was healthy. But I mean, he did. Have, it wasn't his fault. I mean, he had Tommy John surgery. And another thing about Didi is he was always. I always found he was very underrated, um, especially defensively. He never won a Gold Glove, but he was a very, very good defensive shortstop. Uh, definitely one of the best defensive shortstops in my opinion. Um, and uh, in the postseason, uh, Didi uh, talk about a guy who came in the clutch. Um, he kind of reminds me of a guy like Bernie Williams. Um, but anyways, some of his best moments, of course, wild card game in uh, 2017 against the Twins. 
hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the first. Of course, you know, looked bleak because Severino really had a lousy start. Um, couldn't even get over the first. Uh, 2017 American League Division Series against the Twins. Game 5. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. 2017, that was against the Indians. Game 5, uh, he had two home runs in that series, uh, both off of Corey Kluber, who at that time was, um, you know, Corey Kluber now, he's, I think he's getting over an injury now, but he was still, uh, in 2017, he was really, really good. He was one of the best in the game. Um, and he had two home runs in game five. The Yankees ended up winning, of course, 5-2. Uh, to two. And then 2019, last year in the American League Division Series, game two, this was against the Twins. He had a grand slam, um, and that was in the third inning. 2019, again, last year, American League Championship Series against the Astros, game six. Was two for four with a double, um, so I mean, he, and I, there were other big moments too, but those are just some of them that I wanted to mention. Um, and so, Didi Gregorius is definitely worthy of being on this top five Yankee shortstops. I think whenever you talk about the, the Yankees sh- best Yankee shortstops in the Yankees history, you're gonna mention Didi in some way. Um, Phil Lins, uh, he's another guy that I just wanted to mention, even though Phil Lins it wasn't really. He, he kind of reminded me more of Luis Soho, um, who you might remember from the late 90s Yankees. Uh, he actually played for Seattle, too, as well. But he, he um, just looking at Phil Lindsay's numbers, because Phil Lindsay actually played in the 1960s, from 1962 to 1965 with the Yankees. He was a right-handed hitter, just like Luis Soho. And Soho, I believe, played about four, four and a half years or so within the Yankees. Um, I think he had um, a second stint with the Yankees. He, he was traded away, and then he came back or something like that. Uh, 1964, anyway, was Phil Wynn's best year. He had a weighted on base average that year of 314, which was, I think, slightly below average. Um, uh, but he also had a batting average of 250, 332 on base percentage, 92 OPS plus, um, 61 strikeouts, five home runs, 25 RBIs. Um, he never really played a full season, but that, that season he ended up playing 112 games um, in 1964. Actually, that, that was the year, I believe, that um, he was kind of most famous for, I believe, he was playing the harmonica on the bus in 1964. After, I think it was after a bad road trip or something like that, and I believe that was when Yogi told him to uh, basically shove the the harmonica, you know, you know where, and, uh, and because, you know, Phil Lynch just like to play his harmonica, especially kind of like, I think it was like, he was like playing the blues or something like that on the bus and Yogi didn't want to hear it. So it was just kind of funny. Just thought I'd mention that. Um, also in Phil Lynn's career with the Yankees, he played 354 games, 968 at bats, 276 uh, weighted on base average, 12 stolen bases, 314 on base percentage. So he was definitely more of a role player, kind of like Luis Soho, um, kind of probably filled in for like Tony Kubek and uh, Bobby Richardson and those guys that were there uh, whenever they needed them to. And uh, yeah, so he really reminds me, just looking at his numbers, of Luis Soho from the late 90s Yankees. Another guy I wanted to mention was Mark Koenig. Uh, Mark Koenig played for the uh, for two World Series teams with the Yankees, I believe it was 1927 and 1928, Roto Uh He was a switch hitter from California. I actually thought he was a better 
player than he was. He was a pretty good offensive player, though. He actually played for the Yankees from 1925 to 1929, and he played part of a season in 1930. And then I think he ended up getting traded. Uh, in his career with the Yankees, played 567 games, had over 2,000 at-bats, 15 home runs, 244 RBIs, 285 batting average, hit had a 327 on base percentage, weighted on base average, and again, that's overall offensive contributions per plate appearance. Um, this kind of the overall, how good he was overall offensively. It was 316, and the average for that is 320. So it was, was below average for his career, but not a lot below average like Phil Lynn's. But, um, anyways, he had 11 stolen bases in his career and 86. Uh, adjusted OPS as well. So he wasn't overall, he wasn't not a bad uh, offensive uh, second uh, shortstop. Um, and of course, he was a switch hitter too, which I don't think in those days they were that, there were that many switch hitters. Um, his best season with the Yankees came in 1928. Uh, this is personal best season, I should say. Played 132 games, 535 at bats, 300, uh, 360 on base percentage, had a 319 batting average. A 105 OPS plus. That was his career high. Um, and as also had a, obviously a career high weighted on base average um, because that was his best year. It was 358. And in the postseason, uh, like I said before, he played in 1927 and 1928 in the postseason with the Yankees. Won World Series titles. They won back-to-back. Uh, they obviously with Murderer's Row. Um, you know, with Ruth and Gehrig and Lazeri and guys like that. They were going to win. All, they definitely they won a lot of games. Um, and they were the Ruth Gehrig and Lazari were big reasons for that, and Herb Pennock, the left-handed starting pitcher, and a lot of other guys too as well. Anyways, uh, he also lost to the Yankees as well in the World Series when he played for the New York Giants and the Chicago Cubs later later on in his career in the early 30s, I believe, 1932 with the Cubs. I think that's the same game where Ruth called his shot. Connick was on the uh, the other side with the Cubs, and then in 1936 he was with the Giants and they lost to the Yankees. Um, so he was on both sides in the World Series. Um, 1927 in the World Series, though, played they uh, the Yankees played the Pirates. He was in, uh, he was playing for the Yankees, of course. Um, played in all four games. They swept the Pirates. 18 at bats for Koenig, nine hits, and he actually hit 500, uh, two RBIs in that series. Of course, um, you know they had Ruth and Gehrig and all those guys, but you know he had obviously a very good series at 500. Um, 1926 World Series game five. Versus the Cardinals, he had an RBI single in the sixth inning to tie the game, and um, uh, the Yan- the Yankees went on to win three to two. That's a pretty big moment for uh, Mr. Mark Connick as well. So, anyways, moving on to uh, trivia time number two, and this again, the trivia questions you can feel free to uh, just tweet us at tweet us the answer at historic nyy on Twitter. If you don't want to share it on social media or on Facebook or Instagram at historic pinstripes, you can just share it. Um, and email us historicpinstripes at gmail.com. And the second trivia question is, name two rookies who hit two home runs in a single game in the World Series. Two. And they're both Yankees. And moving on, we're going to rank the next, the last half of the top five Yankee shortstops. Of course, I started off with Derek Jeter and Phil Rizzuto because I figured it was kind of obvious between those two. So my top five Yankee shortstops in Yankees history is, of course, Derek Jeter, Phil Rizzuto, Frank Crosetti, the Crow, um, is, that's what they call him, and Roger Peckinpah, number four. And then I'm going to go with Gil McDougald, number five. Um, and I decided to leave Didi off this list, which kind of pained me a little bit <laughs> because 
Didi Gregorius, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Didi Gregorius, and although I feel like Didi could be on this list, I was still very surprised by Gil McDougald. I didn't know how good he was, and um, I kind of felt bad I left him off the top five third baseman list too. However, Gil McDougald did play a lot at third base as well. I mean, he played a lot. He played a lot everywhere, basically, second base, third base, and shortstop. He played. Um, he played full seasons, uh, at least. He played at least two full seasons, I believe, at third base, shortstop, and second base. I think it was more at third base. And I'm sure a lot of that was probably because Phil Rizzuto, we played around the same time as him. Um, and, you know, McDougal, in his career, he played 10 seasons with the Yankees. Didi only played five, so far anyway. Maybe Didi will come back, hopefully, I mean. But at the same time, I think Labor Torres is a very good shortstop. And I think Labor actually, Labor Torres could probably earn his way onto this list for sure someday. But, of course, you know, he's still only 23 years old. So it's still a little very early for him. Anyways, so I'm going to go with Derek Jeter, Phil Rizzuto, the Scooter, Frank Rossetti, the Crow, Roger Peckinpah, and Gil McDougald. And Roger Peckinpah was another guy I was, I was kind of surprised about. I didn't realize how good he was. He's another guy that was very good defensively. He ranked high up there on defensive war um, on a lot, a lot of different seasons. Um, I think he has a higher defensive war, actually, than Bucky Dent um, and uh, even Phil Rizzuto, too, which kind of surprised me because I know Phil Rizzuto was a very, very good defensive shortstop. And Corsetti, too, was very good defensively. And um, even with him with the lead, being a leadoff hitter. And uh, both him and Peckinpah, I noticed they led the league in hit-by-pitches um, a lot. It was just interesting just to look into those his their numbers a little bit differently than some of the guys today. And uh, even a guy like Gil McDougald. But anyways, that's my top five. So what's your top five Yankee shortstops of all time? Again, mine's Derek Jeter, Phil Rizzuto, Frank Crisetti, Roger Peckinpah, and Gil McDougald. So thanks for listening, everybody, to the top five Yankee shortstops of all time. Feel free to share your opinions on Twitter at HistoricNYY. Feel free to share your opinions on how you like the podcast. And also feel free to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review if you'd like. Um, also, uh, you can just feel free to like the podcast, share it with your friends if uh, you like what you hear. And again, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to any of the previous episodes you might have listened to before. And again, I just want to mention the trivia questions. The first one was, who was Bucky Dent traded for in 1982 and where did he get traded to? And trivia question number two. Just name two rookies who hit two home runs and one World Series game. So that's it for this week, everyone. And as always, go Yankees!